Welcome to Open Hands, a podcast exploring spirituality, mental health, and the space in between. I'm your host and fellow wanderer, Sarah Nickerson. This week, Fatima shares her experiences around being a black woman, a Lukumi priest, and a therapist. Thanks for being here. Well, thanks so much for being on Open Hands. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. Um, thanks, yeah, awesome. we know each other from a class that we took this year at NYU. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you want, you can tell us a little bit about yourself and what you'd like to talk about today. Sure. Um, my name is Fatima Walker. I am a therapist. I am a dancer. I am a priest. Um, I'm many things. Yeah. And... I just think in in these times when we first had a conversation about coming on, I I started to think really deeply about what kind of story I wanted to tell. Yeah. And um, I know originally when we spoke, we discussed George Floyd, but I thought about my own personal history and, um, you know, one of my own experiences with the police. Yeah. And... um, the experience that I think of with Breonna Taylor and yeah. how there's been some conversations still about her murderers basically not being arrested, yeah. not being jailed. Um, thinking about black women, thinking yeah. about sometimes the lack of protection that mm. we can feel and from my own experience. So I wanted to tell a story about one night that I had when I was with a group of friends. Yeah. And um, we were all together actually in the Bronx. Yeah. We were hanging out. We actually went to a a spiritual drumming, which in in my tradition we call a bembe or some people call it tambor. Yeah. And what's your tradition, if I can ask? The Lukumi tradition. Okay. Yeah. So I have been, actually next week, I am turning 10 years that I've been initiated into the priesthood. Yeah. Um, So... We went to this gathering, and it's something that we would do all the time, actually, uh, together. Here and there, we would go to Bimbe's. Um, It's something that we just would love to do. Yeah. And we had a good time. And after leaving, you know, I, I had a ride with one of my friends, and because I've always lived in Brooklyn, yeah. she, she lived in New Jersey and she said, okay, well, I'll give you a ride to the bridge mm-hmm. and then you can catch a crab to Brooklyn. Yeah. So she ended up waiting with me to get a cab and um, I got in the cab. We agreed on a price mm-hmm. and drove across the bridge. It's usually a standard price from the Brooklyn Bridge into Brooklyn. You right. know, I live in Flatbush and it's usually not too expensive. But we agreed on a price. And so everything was fine. I arrived at my home Mm. and the driver decided to hike the price up on me. And, Mm. um, you know, we got into a back and forth. I said, well, no, you said that it was this price. Yeah. And, you know, he started to just kind of fight with me um, and I gave him my money. The one that we originally agreed on. Yeah. And he said, no, that's not how much it is. I told you it's this. And, you know, he started to fight with me. And I went to actually get out of the car and he locked me in the car. 
Oh my gosh. And he actually, not only did he lock me in the car where I couldn't get out, he sped off from my house. Oh no. And I was terrified. Yeah. I was terrified. I didn't know where this man was taking me. Yeah. I didn't know what could happen. I think that for most women, I think it's it's usually agreed upon. Our first concern is, is this man going to rape me? Right. Yeah. Um, you know, where could I be going? So he actually drove me to the local precinct. Mm. And um, he stopped and... You know, there was a a white police officer that came over to the car um, and, you know, he asked him, well, what's going on? And he basically told the story to this police officer that I was trying to cheat him out of money. Mm -hmm. I didn't I didn't want to pay him. Um, He was just accusing me of all kinds of things. Yeah. So the officer asked me to get out of the car. I was alone, obviously. Um, It had to be. Definitely after midnight because we had gone out after the drumming to eat and, you know, just to be with each other. And so I got out the car and I spoke to the officer and explained to him that we agreed on this price. I offered to pay him this money. This is the cash that I have. Yeah. You know, and um, so he listened to me which I, I appreciated. Actually, he heard me out. Right. But there was another who I think was a superior officer that was standing there who happened to be a black man. Um, he went over, explained what was happening. I went along. And the entire energy of the exchange changed. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I, I spoke to the black police officer. And he was very hostile towards me, Mm. actually. He was very hostile, uh, very accusatory. Um, He, before really hearing me out, um, accused me of trying to um, cheat this man out of money, Mm. that in this area, there was a lot of people um, not paying cab drivers. And um, if I didn't pay this man his money, he was gonna throw me in jail that night. Um, And I was so shocked, you know. Um, I was obviously there by myself. Yeah. Um, it's late in the night. Yeah. You know, I was being threatened. Yeah. Um, by this police officer. And it was so interesting for me because as, you know, it's it's almost like an out-of-body experience yeah. sometimes because I think sometimes the, the shock of what is happening to you um, can kind of, mm-hmm. you know, um, separate and um, and definitely dissociate from the moment. And um, so I remember distinctly in that moment, it was a, a split second, I remember watching the look on the white police officer's face as he was hanging his head really in shame watching this exchange. Like, mm. you know, I'm, I'm a woman alone. And to watch this this man you know, who happened to be of my same race, mm-hmm. um, don't know his cultural background, but um, I also looked at him like, why are you dealing with me like this? Yeah. You know, um, you know, I basically was being treated like a criminal. Yeah. Um, like I had done something wrong and I was already judged before mm-hmm. really hearing 
anything about what honestly happened, even though there wasn't any room for me to actually be telling the truth. Yeah. Also, you had just been kidnapped. And I was. And honestly, I was kidnapped. Yeah. I, I, that was terrifying. I think yeah. it's probably one of the most terrifying yeah. aspects of, of the night. And um, the strange thing is, and it's not strange because I, I do believe in um, synchronicity and mm. not so much in coincidence. And during the drumming, there's a certain part you know, where there are particular priests who dance and in, yeah. in some ways it's like a blessing they will give out. Um, they will give out money Yeah. during a, a certain part in, in the drumming. And um, I participated in this part earlier and I remembered that um, I had some extra money on me. Yeah. And... <laughs> I had exactly enough to give wow. to this man yeah. um, in order to get out of this situation. And there was no even conversation, oh, well, you can go to the ATM to pay him. Nothing. There, mm-hmm. was, there was no defense of me, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not so much feeling for myself, feeling victimized, even though anyone could imagine why I would, right? right? Yeah. Um, but just thinking that there just was no room for me other than being perceived as a criminal. Right. That I couldn't imagine, at least in the moment, that a white woman would feel, Mm -hmm. um, any other ethnicity would feel um, in this experience. Yeah. Um, Because even for the officer, for him to basically generalize, and because this cab driver was in this part of town, um, that how I looked, I had to be a part of this, right? You know, um, because this is what people are doing. They're yeah. victimizing cab drivers, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, but there was no compassion for me, right, at all, right. And I think just in in these times, one could easily think about what is the protection for of course black people yeah but also black women um how we're not perceived in a particular way as Mm. deserving of a Mm. certain level of um compassion respect dignity even yeah um so for that for that evening and even though the cab driver lied on me yeah um they defended him wow they defended him and you know yes i was fortunate to have enough cash yeah um to to supplement what he was asking right yeah on top of already the agreed upon price right but i also after that was over after being of course um threatened to go to jail yeah um i had to then walk home alone because i didn't have enough cash yeah Luckily, I could orient myself enough to um, get home. I wasn't terribly far from home, but it was still very scary. Of course. And and I even thought about that. I'm like, these police officers, they would watch me just walk off by myself. It's after midnight. By then, it easily was 1230. I don't think that I probably got home until like 1 a.m. Wow. And... 
I still could have been accosted on the street. Right, yeah. I still could have been raped. Anything could have happened to Mm -hmm. me. Um, And there just was no care. Yeah. I was treated in a very callous way. And, um, you know, when I got home that night, I called the woman, my friend. Yeah. Who had given me the ride? I, I explained to her what happened, yeah. and you know she, you know she showed some compassion. And then I called my mother, and of course she was, you know, freaked out. Course, and yeah. um, and my brother ended up calling me, and you know I have an older brother, and he just, you know, he was beside himself, upset that yeah. this happened to me. Um, but it was at least from my family that I felt a sense of mm-hmm. compassion, protection, um, understanding. Yeah, that. This was not something that should have happened to you. Right. Um, and that I was definitely undeserving of that level of treatment. Right. Um, but I think that it's so infrequent that, um, and it's, you know, I don't like to generalize, but mm-hmm. I do think that it's an experience that many black women can agree mm-hmm. on that we don't feel um, in society a sense of, um, a sense of care, compassion, protection. Right. Or even that we're perceived to deserve that. Yes. And what what does that do to us as women? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because it's not about us being weak. Mm-hmm. No. You know, mm-hmm. I think many of us understand that women are very strong. Yeah. But where does that strength come from as well? especially yeah. like for black women right. um, because I think oftentimes we're perceived oh you know black women are so strong we're mm-hmm. so powerful yes we are we're all those things right yeah. um, but at times strength is required in order to survive yeah. certain experiences right. you know that have to do with prejudice that have to do with racism um, and all of the isms that we know about yeah and um, it's very challenging yeah I remember one of my good friends, um, she recently was saying, she was like, I'm so sick of being called a strong black woman. Yeah. She was like, because there's there's a reason that I've had to be that way. Exactly. And mm-hmm. it, it needs to change so that, like, I don't have to be a strong black woman. Yeah, <laughs> like, absolutely. So society needs to change and the way that it's perceived and the way that we relate to black women needs to be different. Right. I think in a more, in a more holistic way. Um, you know, I think that we we have to be given the psychic space, the yeah. emotional space, yeah, um, the mental space to to breathe mm. and to be allowed to feel all the different emotions that any human being yeah. would feel moving throughout the world. Yeah, yeah, uh, and that we also have the right. Mm. You know, that we don't always have to be, quote unquote, strong. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, what is strength? Yeah. A lot of times experiences kind of forge that within you. Right. You know, moving through challenges and obstacles and and all types of things that we're encountering in order to survive on different levels. Mm. And um, and also doing our best to thrive. Right. You know, uh, thrive through it. And usually, yes, that's what makes us be strong and have that fortitude. Yeah. But um, sometimes <laughs> I can speak for myself. I don't always want to be strong. Right. You know, and and I do think that it's very helpful being a therapist 
and and having the tools to to work through that within myself mm. and giving myself the permission to not always be quote unquote strong yeah. but to recognize that I have to give myself and create that space within myself to yeah. experience the gamut of emotions right. that anyone feels based on just living. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, give myself that permission. Yeah. And having that has enabled me to be more whole mm. and uh, more free. Yeah. You know, more free within myself. I was wondering, because I know... Uh, so you're a priest in it's the Lukumi Lukumi mm-hmm. tradition. Mm-hmm. So talk to me a little bit about like what that tradition upholds as meaningful, like what that looks like for you um, as a priest. Sure, it's a deep question. I know. <laughs> um, it's interesting because it's not something that I I speak of often, and I I often say for myself that um, those things that I hold dear or the closest to my heart, I. I usually don't speak of. Yeah. Um, so the Lukumi tradition is um, based on the worship of yeah. one god, yeah. Olodumare, but also the veneration of Orisha, mm-hmm. which are forces of nature, Yeah. the essence of nature. So it is nature-based. Yeah. And um, there are many tenets that it upholds, but it... It's something that has been very sustaining for me. Mm. I've practiced it since I was young. Yeah. You know, from the age of six, you know, so in essence, I was raised in it. And um, it's enabled me to move through a number of experiences. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's something that, um, but I have been initiated for 10 years now you know um so it's been a decade and it's been one of um transformation Mm. and it's something that um from when i was a a teenager that i've always wanted yeah um because it has to do with that relationship that we have with our personal orisha sure the one that um guides our life my particular orisha is ilegba Mm. Right, so he is the owner of the crossroads, mm. um, the Orisha of destiny, and he knows all of our fate. Mm. Right, so they say he is the Alpha and Omega. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, and many other things. Um, so I am very much an active practitioner. Yeah. Um, I know a lot of people. Um, who probably don't know a lot about that specific mm-hmm. uh, spiritual practice, and I have I have a couple of friends who also practice as well. Yeah, but I love hearing how it. It sounds like it's been something like you said that has really sustained you. Yeah, or you feel mm-hmm. like it's like brought you maybe like a sense of refreshment or or grounding or. Yeah, I would definitely say grounding, um, because I I do think that even though it's practice in community. Yeah. For sure, um, much of my focus um, in terms of it being sustaining and, and bringing me a sense of fortitude and, and focus and is and spirituality yeah. is what I do from day to day. 
and um, my personal relationship to Orisha and my understanding of them, which has grown over the years, um, long before I initiated. But and that only deepens in time. Yeah. Um, and it also deepens as we grow as individuals. Yeah. Um, so. I'm able to, as I move through my life and, you know, analyze certain experiences and see, you know, how not only does Orisha protect me, but they also guide me in becoming um, a person of good character mm. and always looking at my life in ways to improve. Yeah. And, um, Ensuring that, you know, I am doing my best to to uplift myself, yeah, you know, um, spiritually. And then understanding and giving myself, as I said, the space yeah. to, um, to be a whole individual. We all make mistakes, you know, sure. in life, but also taking the lessons mm. from those things. And how do I continue to move forward and be a better human being? Right. You know? Yeah. Do you feel like um, your spirituality has helped to shape your your? I mean, it sounds like it has your view on both yourself and the world around you, and in in what way? You know, I I can definitely say that. Um, I view myself as a spiritual being. Yeah, and I interpret a lot of my experiences in the world through that kind of prism. Right. right? Yeah. Um, trying to see why am I experiencing certain things what have I not seen mm. how can this improve my awareness of self yeah and um, my treatment of other individuals yeah and you know what is it that I'm taking in order to gain wisdom you yeah. know from that yeah so and then also no also it's yeah. one thing that I have often reflected on is and I think about even with the story that I told you prior, making sure that I'm always cultivating a, a spiritual space like within myself. Yeah. Um, it enables me to endure mm. certain life experiences, sometimes with people, mm -hmm. with um, the experience of betrayal, the experience of, um, you know, relationships that, whether well, don't work or yeah. sometimes they're not what they seem. And being able to at least have a place within myself that is uh, reserved just yeah. for me. Yeah. Right? So, and that I think is is cultivated uh, through my spirituality. Mm. Yes, with Orisha, right? But it's, it's more so something that has grown within me over the years as I have not only practiced the Lukumi tradition, but more so cultivated just a, a spiritual connection to the universe. Yeah. Um, having that connection to to my higher self, right. to source. Right. And um, having that be on some level untouchable, mm. right? Mm -hmm. So it's it's cultivating for me. I've always interpreted it as a sense of purity. Yeah. Um, that even with an experience with a police officer right. that I had, or even experiencing something that was unjust, 
I can still maintain who I am on the inside right. and not allow these types of experiences to taint mm. me in yeah. some way. Yeah. And with that, my my spirituality sustains me mm. in a way where it allows me to be untouchable. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So we all experience the material world. Yes. Yeah. Right. You know, yeah. the disappointments, the joys, the highs, the lows, all those things. But being able to have within me that um, that sense of peace and um, stillness, yeah, I would say, yeah, um, that kind of going back to center, mm. that's is what keeps me going. That's something that if I experience a devastating heartbreak, that yeah. I can um, retreat to, yeah, and it. Um, uplifts me yeah i feel like yeah that's so much of i feel like the gift of spirituality and Mm -hmm. you know and i've we've talked before i was raised in the christian faith growing up there is always like a sense of a higher power and like and like a shelter almost of like being protected um sometimes i talk about it as being like the tangible intangible Mm -hmm. like it's just like this this like you can hold on to it even if it's not physical right um and i remember one of my favorite books did you ever read a uh, man's search for meaning by victor frankel yeah you know what i i've read uh parts of it i will say that I, and i have it at home but the funny thing is that i was thinking about this book on my way here really yes i was i was because i know that just within his story that's something yeah. that he describes you know finding freedom in a, a situation of captivity yeah and torture he, <laughs> yeah he had um one of my very favorite quotes and i like memorized it because i love it was mm-hmm. he said we had to believe that the hopelessness of our struggle did not detract from its dignity or its meaning exactly mm-hmm. and like you said, you know, they knew they're going to die. It wasn't like, mm-hmm. oh, like, let's pray for deliverance. And of course. I'm sure they did, but there was, like, a very strong understanding of, like, this is probably not going to end well for us. Of course. Yeah, knowing that. But mm-hmm. holding on to that, yeah, that inner space, or I think you referred to it as, like, psychic space. Of, exactly. Of having that um, sense of freedom within yourself. Exactly. Despite what's happening around you. Mm-hmm. And I don't know really of much... I'm not sure how else you get to that except through some some form of spirituality. Right, right. And I, I remember from the class when we had, um, there was just one section yeah. where we had to meditate. Yeah. And I don't know if you were in the class that day. But, um, and then after we, we meditated for a couple minutes and we had to exchange about what that experience was like for us. Yeah. And I remember my partner at the time, um, our conversation he discussed just struggling to reach that place Mm. you know that meditation can take you yeah and um and me having a conversation with him about it um because it's something um obviously that i've cultivated over time not so much because i'm an avid meditator no um but more so um cultivating a sense of of stillness Mm. And that can come in, in many different variations, right? right? Depending on how you decide to cultivate it. Um, I do think it definitely comes through spirituality. It yeah. depends on how you practice that spirituality, right. is, which is the conversation we had many times in class. Yeah. Um, but it is something that 
is cultivated over time. Mm. And it really has to do with a sense of connection. Yeah. Right? yeah. Um, connection to oneself. Yeah. And then also from there connecting to uh, a higher power, whatever mm. that happens to be for an individual. Right. Yeah. yeah. So for me, yes, it's definitely connecting to source it's connecting to orisha it's connecting to my ancestors yeah right all of those elements and then also of course what i feel within me mm. right whether the god space you know the part that doesn't feel um only human mm. right yeah. um having this human experience but taking that human experience and the lessons and having yeah. it strengthen my inner being mm. and um and having that you know and growing in that fortitude and it enabling me to actually go back out into the world yeah. and continue to to live and and like i said the highs and lows right yeah um but it's something that is so important yeah because when we do have difficult times mm-hmm. It's very easy for, depending on what it is, right, and the level sometimes of trauma, um, it could easily take one out. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. where you can just kind of walk around empty mm. or broken, mm. you know, by life. And, you know, in our line of work, yeah, you know, we have come across people like that or those who are just kind of teetered on the edge. Yeah. You know, like yeah. life is just not worth living. Right. But having that connection to to self and um, having something that sustains you mm. uh, from the inside, right? Yeah. It's an inner reservoir. It can just be tremendous, you know, yeah. in terms of the benefits mm. and um, and being able to just navigate life in a different way. Yeah. You know? And that's something I've had for a lot of years and I also was raised in that environment yeah. you know so it's it's helped me you know since I was young yeah mm-hmm. I feel like when I think about my clients and the ones who have experienced a great amount of trauma mm-hmm. um like not even like I would say like nine out of ten times clients do better who have some sort of spiritual practice right um some way to sort of orient themselves or to ground themselves mm-hmm. And I feel like when clients don't have that, it makes the the process of healing a lot slower. Mm -hmm. Not that it can't be done, but it's just, it's a very like, it's a slower process. And I always think of it as like resources. Like there's Mm -hmm. a wealth of of resources that are available to us, like spiritually and um, in terms of energy and ancestors and higher power. Like there's all of this sort of like floating around us. Yeah. But then if we aren't open to it or like reaching out to it in some capacity, then at least in my own experience, like I f- I'll stay really stuck. And the days where I access that higher power or, or my center, like our, those days are so different than and the we, days right now. that conversation. <laughs> yeah. Like, I haven't had my quiet times, girl. Yeah. You know, I needed I, to recharge. Yeah. You know? And I, I do think that for our work and then we see for for clients Mm -hmm. who some might be more religious some not um not having some type of separation where it's just not existing in the world and you're just you're just going about your life yes and then you're having different experiences i could imagine yeah because i've always lived with spirituality but i could imagine there would be that sentiment is this all there is right 
Yeah. You're working, you pay bills, you know, okay, you you see friends, you see this. It doesn't mean it cannot be meaningful. Mm -hmm. But I do think when we have some sort of connection to ourselves, right, on a deeper level, and uh, that spiritual connection to something more than us, right, Um, it's a different level of experience, you know, I think of life. Yeah. And staying like that openness, staying open. I don't remember where I read it, but I read somewhere that it said we can only be as connected to others as we are to ourselves. Mm. And so like if we're not deeply connected to self um, and kind of exploring our own inner workings, then it makes it very hard to like connect to others in that same way. I could imagine that. I, I definitely can imagine that for sure. I think, as I mentioned before, being a therapist, having those tools of reflection and just what they teach us yeah. in school, of course. Um, we have to reflect on ourselves, having self-awareness first. Mm. And then looking at our relationships with others. Yeah. And and seeing just the exchange, you know, of course, learning from others, just the dynamic itself. Right. But what can we learn from that? Yeah. You know, and of ourselves as well. Mm. Because I, I have come to really believe from my own experiences, there's only certain things that you can learn about yourself mm. through relationship. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Whether that's with an individual, romantic relationships, friendships, mm-hmm. uh, they all are mirrors. Yeah. You know, for ourselves in different ways. Right. Mm. Sometimes we need another person to reflect back to us oh, who yeah. we are. Mm-hmm. You know, because when we're just interacting with ourselves, we may not always see certain aspects of our being that right. sometimes um, need to be corrected. Right. Um, need to be acknowledged, mm-hmm. you know, and that could be the good and the bad. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, there's certain things that should be celebrated about ourselves that we don't always see. Sometimes we need that friend to say, hey, like, you yeah. know, you're amazing at this. Not so much for validation, but sometimes we don't always give ourselves a proper credit, right. you know, of yeah. what what our gifts are, right? Mm-hmm. And it could also be the opposite in yeah. terms of, you know, there's certain things maybe in our character, like, hey, you need to work on that, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and it's very true. So I think it's both. Um, there's benefits to it. Yeah. But... Being self-aware from the beginning and bringing that to a relationship with another person, um, it it just reflects our consciousness, Mm -hmm. right? And how we're steadily growing from it and and seeing how we can uh, evolve. Yeah. Mm -hmm. One of the biggest lessons I learned recently was to, um, one, to like trust my instincts. Mm -hmm. You have good ones. Yeah, but also to like, to not make a decision out of like that anxious like fear or um or resistance like when something tough comes up relationally it's really easy for me to just be like all right deuces like Mm -hmm. i'm out like or you know this must mean that this is like really bad and sometimes it does mean that like there are Mm -hmm. definitely things that we um can see in relationships that we should take heed to Mm -hmm. but um but yeah just like learning to sit with it instead of like trying to squirm my way out of it and then to to really like like sit back into my soul mm-hmm. and like trying to really like hear like what is it about the situation that is uncomfortable mm-hmm. or that is like bringing up um pain or suffering in me yes mm-hmm. and sorting through it 
and then like making a decision for myself right which is so valuable because in that space like you learn Mm -hmm. so much about what needs healing oh yes but you can't learn that if you like automatically you know check out Mm -hmm. or shut down right um because it's easier it's so much easier to do yeah and and what you're speaking of is something that for many they're unwilling to do you know something you know in in the spiritual community they'll say oh we're doing the work right right Right. or we even say the therapeutic community is like oh we have to do your inner work um but i i have to agree and it's through that process that you're speaking of is how we grow as individuals you know in our character Mm -hmm. right and it's not always easy. Nope. You know, sometimes like looking in the mirror and looking at how, you know, our lives, depending on what the situation is, right. you know, a situation can come up for ourselves. Yeah. Um, that may not be pretty mm-hmm. or how we landed in that situation. And right. we have to then take a step back and reflect, how did I get here? Yeah. And how am I going to move forward? Right. But reflecting on what's happening within us and how we handle it Mm. and what direction we will take it from there yeah right so as you said am i going to abandon the situation because it's uncomfortable or am i going to sit with it and see what i can learn from it and then make a conscious decision there's so many directions that we can take something and what we're going to learn from it yeah and gain the wisdom from it yeah and that applies so greatly too to the black lives matter movement especially Mm -hmm. white people who are uncomfortable with what's happening or uncomfortable Mm -hmm. with situations around race right and so it's just sort of like well what what can i do to either like just do it or like what can i like you know how can i um like wiggle my way out of this conversation Mm -hmm. or like or turn the attention back to me right and it's much harder for a lot of people to just sit in that space and be like, okay, like we have to sit with this pain or discomfort or whatever. It is. I will, I could see that I would imagine. And, um, for work, I had to design, um, workshops over a number of weeks and a couple of those workshops that I had to do worked with the staff, you know, of, um, of the building. And, um, one of the topics is white fragility. Yeah. And it was very interesting. I do think that the conversation itself was fruitful. I yeah. I I believe because of my approach. Right. Right. Um yeah. and having to really conceptualize in the in the workshop itself that this is something universal in terms of another human being's humanity yeah right Mm -hmm. and of course looking at how black people are perceived that could we could take it a step further Mm -hmm. if we wanted to introduce you know colorism because that is a definite aspect of this but it's it's another part of the conversation yeah Um, because we we have to acknowledge that black people regardless of what country they're from Mm -hmm. right their cultural background um are treated a certain way based on skin color right right their proximity to blackness right and that has a different element that Mm -hmm. could be a part of the conversation yeah and indeed it was with these workshops because there were certain participants 
who were mixed race, yeah. um, who were not only mixed race, but they would have a black partner mm-hmm. and them discussing their uh, experiences with their partner and um, something as simple as, you know, being pulled over by a police right. officer or even um, who would pay at certain mm. points in, you know, in a, a grocery store, whether the partner would would get carded right right right. versus the the partner that was mixed race or who was of lighter skin where you couldn't really see you know or identify him with maybe one um race or culture yeah um and so that's another element and he talked about his frustration with that you know um you know he had uh, a black partner he's gay yeah and um and he talked about so many different experiences Mm. and and his frustration Mm. Um, in defending the man, obviously, that he loved and um, how unjust it was to watch him go through life and certain experiences, things that he never would go through right? Um, as, you know, as a mixed race man. So I wouldn't necessarily say there was defensiveness. I, I think they were progressive enough to reflect, yeah. Um, but being able to see how being mildly defensive or or potentially, well, this is not my problem, mm-hmm. uh, because not knowing exactly what to do right. um, themselves, even though we already know there's many things yeah. you know that allies can do. Yes. Um, but a part of my conversation, because I am a firm believer in this, start with you. Yeah. Sometimes people think that the only way that you can make change is being in, you know, any kind of protest or you have to be writing all kind of letters. Yes, you can. You can do all those things. But doing the work of starting with you and all of the conditioning that Mm -hmm. one has experienced within your family group just being a part of society is tremendously powerful yeah just question yourself when you have certain experiences or even certain thoughts or you have certain assumptions Mm -hmm. questioning yourself where does this come from right and and kind of you know deconstructing that yeah Uh, because that is the real work Mm -hmm. you know and just moving out into the world with a, a more renewed consciousness the willingness to even do so is radical yeah it changes it can produce change yeah you know just in one human being right because you move out into your friendship groups, mm-hmm. into your family, mm-hmm. into your workspace, and having some kind of change within your mind can produce change with everyone around you because they know yeah. where you stand. You yeah, know? yeah. So it's tremendously powerful, and I think they really learn from that as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. it sounds like they did. And at least even having that space to reflect those things and yes. to think about them and talk about them with other people Mm -hmm. it reminds me of what you said towards the beginning of our talk when you were talking i just keep thinking about that word because i actually haven't heard people use it a lot psychic space Mm -hmm. but it is like that's so much of what it is like absolutely you know literally like making room in your psychic space Mm -hmm. for other people's experiences and feelings and um the trauma Mm -hmm. that they have been through and we do that a lot as therapists we do um but even that's like within a like a 45 minute time period right and Mm -hmm. so like figuring out 
with you know while still taking care of ourselves and having healthy boundaries of like course, how, how yeah. to do that um and I love that idea because that's what you know a lot of the work is about I remember my friend my friend Devin re- recently did a podcast where he was talking about his experiences of being a black man in America mm-hmm. and one of the things he had said I can't remember the exact words but he had said um like the best thing that you can do for me essentially is like sitting with me in my pain mm-hmm. so like not trying to fix it yes not trying to like even like talk me through it mm-hmm. or like make me feel better he's mm-hmm. like I just like I need you to sit with me in my pain and I need you to stay there because often yeah. it's like you come and we're like that's just so hard yeah. I'm sorry to hear that mm-hmm. and it's like okay bye like yeah. I don't have to think about this anymore of course and like the power of of yeah of sharing that psychic space with somebody and oh yeah creating that you know it's something for me I can speak to um I know when I was in school in my master's program one important um concept that they taught was uh, the holding environment Mm, yeah and it was creating that safe space for a client to experience their being and the importance of something as simple as um and i don't know why i would never forget this um something as simple as not placing a box of tissues Mm. for a client because it almost implies that they need to gather themselves right wanting to encourage the the client to express Mm. and emote on whichever level they needed to share their being right and to heal yeah you know and sometimes when we are so quick to and this is not just therapists right yeah but when we're so quick to move in when someone is in tremendous pain right often it's because we are uncomfortable yeah and we want to um somehow make it go away yeah like okay you know you you're you're sharing too much you're being too much this is too much you know it's our own uh anxiety yeah right and so we want to move away from it Mm. but just as he's saying just sit with me sit in my pain it's a tremendous source of of empathy Mm. and validation yeah to listen to someone's story yeah um whatever comes with that and not give them advice right right not tell them anything at times you know and we both know that there are moments that you can either validate or there's certain questions when timed well yeah you can open another door and open another door for them right and it um it's opening those doors in a psychic way right the psychic space yeah that produces the healing Mm. and it's a fine dance Mm -hmm. you know that I have found a a therapist does and I do think it's over time that we develop this kind of uh, intangible skill yeah yeah Uh, it's the intangible um, because we have to become so aware of of the holding environment of the safe the the safe space Mm. that we're creating and being able to really gauge um, and that's instinctual over yeah, time. Yeah. Being able to really gauge what's happening, you know, with the client or even if it's a friend, right? right? Um, what is happening with them on an emotional level 
for us to be able to know what would be the right thing to do. Yeah. And sometimes that shit that just is silence. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's tremendously powerful yeah. to sit with someone in their pain. Yeah. And allow the space for it. Yeah. Wow. So, oh, yeah. It's a beautiful that. thing to see. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. This oh. was a great conversation. Thank you, Sarah. It's awesome. Yeah. Was there any um, any last things you wanted to share in terms of like resources or support for other people who are maybe on a spiritual journey or anything that's been helpful for you? Well, I think that, you know, the spiritual journey is quite individualistic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, everyone connects in a different way. And it's important, I think, on the first step for one to acknowledge what is a way that they can tune in to themselves, Mm. right? So cultivating self-awareness. Yeah. Um, For some people, that might be walking on the beach. Yeah. For some, it might be lighting a candle, a glass of water, Mm. and prayer. Yeah. For others, it could be journaling. Yeah, yeah. And taking those first steps to kind of see well what produces a sense of calm for me Mm. what helps me to connect to myself you know what makes me feel that quiet uh, stillness Mm. inside yeah and the more and more that one can acknowledge that I feel like it grows stronger yeah and it begins to ground you mm. in a way where you you feel that um that separation when you go out into the world but right. it's something that you carry with you yeah you know yeah. and it keeps you steady so i think it has to do with every individual yeah and what makes them feel connected to self mm. and that's the beginning i love that yeah, listening to yourself. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> and getting into that still space. Mm-hmm. And I always tell clients, you'll know it when you find it. Absolutely. You know, and it can look like, yeah, like you said, it looks different for every person. But okay. yeah. Yeah. thank you so much. You're welcome. It's been my pleasure. All right. Thank you for having me. Yes. Have a wonderful rest of your day. You too, Sarah. Open Hands is produced, hosted, and edited by Sarah Nickerson. Theme music is by Sleeping at Last. You can find Open Hands on Instagram at Open Hands Podcast. Thanks so much for listening, and be well.